had a magnificent event with John Miles' uh, ordination. A few churches are looking at John, and the update is good. He's, he's, re- he's getting light on his feet, ready to jump when the Lord tells him to jump and uh, go to another church. At the end of that conference event, uh, was a Sunday morning, we concluded this service, and we had everybody come take a picture up here uh, on the stage, uh, or whatever this thing is back here. And um, we thought that was a good idea at the time. And then three or four of the men in the church that think about things like structural integrity of load-bearing members, they started looking at me going, and, um, and Danny was like, I think maybe, uh, maybe you want to make this photo go fast. We have not, at least in a couple of hundred years, load tested the, the, the structure back here until April we did. And, um, and we noted that, boy, do we have some, uh, a heavy lift here with the church family. Right before this service, I had to make a stop uh, back out in the back room by the kitchen. And I noticed that uh, there was a line, and it was a short line um, compared to the women that are in the building. And I just want to report to you from the building committee, uh, things are moving forward with this bathroom project. That, that, that photo was the initiative that I said, look how many people there are here. I never count. I don't do, I don't, I'm, my name is David. I don't take census. I don't count. I learned that in the Bible. Um, <laughs> do y'all like Bible trivia jokes? I got a lot of those. <laughs> anyway, um, so what I'm trying to tell you is that uh, that was the genesis of this this short-term project, and um, and we are almost ready to start. We almost have a permit. This week, we think we might receive our permit from the town, but thank you for your prayers for this work. There's a lot that goes into getting over ourselves to, to throw in together and do something. There's a lot that goes into working with the town uh, and, and how that all comes together, and then the design and everything. And, and I know that this won't be a perfect bathroom uh, in some ways of cal- calculating, but it'll be a really robust bathroom. I mean, the foundation is going to be incredible. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot that's going to go into doing this. As Mike mentioned cryptically that uh, we have a meeting next Sunday, this is the culmination of a year of effort on the current phase of the building team. We started the building renovation committee, I think, in 2010. We, in t- 2015, voted to put an addition on this building if the Lord provided the resources. And this is the update to the church family on where that plan stands now. And it's outlined for you out in the playground. That's what the addition is. It's not going to be an addition. That's not going to be possible. You cannot add to this building. And, uh, and we've got a year of work trying to figure that out. But what we do have is a proposal that the town, we are very highly expecting them to approve for lots of reasons. And it's a really tough needle to thread to build anything in the Preston Historic Village District. So please come and, and hear this meeting next Sunday after church. We're not going to take any more of your time in the services for this, but it'll be after church. And the building team's going to run through with you um, where we are, what the plan is. There is an active building fund that we have had open since at least 2015 when we voted to do this. And the good news is that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
And the good news is also that if he wants to do this, he will provide the resources for us to do it. And the great news in all that is we will never feel the pressure of a mortgage as a church family so that we owe money to the bank. We'll just be uncomfortable and cramped until and not have the, 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 the access that we'd like until the Lord does provide. So thanks for your attention about that little announcement. I would love for you to come join me um, and hear a little bit about this. I owe you a, a quick report about reading. Um, I am gradually becoming less knowledgeable about theology the more I read. And so I should be a complete blithering idiot by the time this thing is over. And I know Brendan's thinking too late. So thank you for that. I felt that thought. Uh, and um, I thank you for your, your permission to let me do this. Um, the timing is great uh, for a lot of reasons, not the least of which I had a professor, former professor of this institution I'm working through for my PhD, told me you need to get to an ALBA dissertation status as soon as possible um, because of just the circumstances involved uh, with the institution. And um, we're doing it uh, do or die now because the baby comes in late October and, and that's another th- three years I'll never see the light of day again. So. so thank you for your continued prayers. And um, I'll try not to, to share much of what I'm reading with you. It's a theology, it's a theo- theology PhD, so there's, there's a lot of theology. Well, I want to talk tonight about the, today about the Bible. And I put, I put something from Genesis chapter 9 up on the screen. Behind me, you can see a rainbow, I hope you can, on this incredible updated pulpit. I told Lou when I saw what he did when he rebuilt this thing, I said, I'm coming back early. And, and I'm so thankful for uh, Mark and Jack and Mike and, and uh, Rusty, and they're doing magnificent work, and they're really working hard. I'm so grateful. I'm also bitter and jealous because they get to use this awesome redesigned pulpit before I get to use it, but... If you guys will just bear with me and let me borrow it for the last few moments of our service today. In Genesis chapter 9, we hear the origin, God's account as the designer of all the physics of the rainbow. The origin of the rainbow is actually a proclamation. It is a picture that God has designed within the fabric of physics That light would refract the way it does through rain. It aggregates in that refraction into the spectrum. It's very interesting that you have billions of prisms of, of light, of, 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 of water, that, that one light source, source, the sun, shines through, and it makes an aggregate picture. And the rainbow is, from our perspective, always uh, concave like this. From the perspective, I'm thinking it's concave. And it is always a keshet. That's the Hebrew word that is translated in your Bible, rainbow. Rainbow. This is the word keshet in verse 13 of Genesis 9. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for me uh, for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. You know, water is a toxic substance if, if ingested uh, through your lungs, right? Water is a wonderful thing, but if you get too much of it, 
We go very quickly from being quenched to being killed. And um, God said he's not going to do it again. He's not going to flush the toilet, as I like to say, of Genesis 7 with the flood. What we don't read is in English that's showing up in Hebrew, if you're a Hebrew reader, when you read the, the Genesis there, is the word keshet. My Hebrew students are quick to notice that's a segolet. Right, Art? That's a segolet. Keshet, not keshet, keshet. If you want to know why I'm saying that, well, you'd have to take Hebrew with me, which is available to you at Chafer Theological Seminary anytime you'd like. But a keshet is a bow. It's a military weapon. It's what we are calling a bow today. B-O-W. We hear rainbow and think the spectrum. But when God said Keshet, he said, I was making war on the earth and I've taken my bow off of my panoply, off of my armor, and I've hung it up in the clouds. You can all see that I, through this proclamation of the rainbow, am not going to make war on the earth with water again. That's what he's saying with the rainbow. It's a weapon. So what happens with the visual is we get associations. One of Satan's goals is to take God's messages and make different associations with them. If we say law, we immediately start to get suspicious. If we say restriction or discrimination, we start to have a problem. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't be him and me in. Don't be telling me what I can and can't do. And I want to have my way. We very quickly in our sinfulness bow up against God's greatest blessings. Did you know that God's commands and his prohibitions are all, when he says do this or don't do this, it's always a love letter where he says, I'm trying to bless you and max you out and give you every good thing. Did you know that God saying don't do this is God loving you and protecting you? And God saying do this is God loving you and protecting you. God is proclaiming his word and his word is always good and best for us. But we have a problem. We're sinners and we don't think we are. We're limited in our understanding and our knowledge and we think we know everything. We think that all there is is all we can see except for that stuff that we have to confess that there is stuff that we can't see that is true. But then we forget that and then we slip back into all there is is all I can see and taste and touch. And we're foolish and silly and limited and petty and God loves us anyway. When you ask the question, what do you want? What do you want? If the idea of God having a plan for your life and him having your way doesn't quickly come to your mind, my prayer for you is that that will be a change in your life and you'll start moving that way. What do you want? I want a good job as the young person. I want to have a certain standard of living. I want to have, you know, the, the right kind of whatever. If you're a young enough person, you're thinking sneakers or just leisure time with my friends or something that you think you want. And the problem is that you're, you and I were limited and we don't know enough to know what to want. And it's good humility to say that. It's really true. I really don't know what all the options are. Do you want pennies or nickels? And I'm like, okay, Lord, what is the whole What's, what all, what, what's all the list of things I might ask for? Well, he's got billion-dollar bills on the list too, but I'll go for the pennies or nickels. That's how it is with God's revelation. You don't know what you don't know. And so you want 
something that ultimately has to be less until God helps you and you grow into being like him and thinking like him through his word. And then you start to want what is of real value. And God will make that change in you. Today, what I want you to think about is what God designed you to be. I started with the rainbow and God's proclamation. If you watch through the Bible, he's always saying things. He's always making announcements. He's always saying, this is how it is, and it can be no other. And we're made in his image to make a proclamation. In fact, we just made one. We just proclaimed Jesus' death, and he hasn't come back yet, so we keep doing it. We, together as the body in this church, have made this proclamation. And so here's my question. If you could summarize your life... If you could make a message statement that is your proclamation, your motto, what's important to you, this is what people need to know. What would it say? What is your summary statement on your life? At this point, I would perhaps show you gravestones of clever people that have said silly things as their last words. But I'm not. I really want you to think about this. What's your summary? What are the great summaries of the Bible? Where we say, when we read it, this jumps out to us, and we say, that's, that's the stuff. That's what I want. That's what I want to be like. 1 Corinthians 11, we just read, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The defining activity, arguably, of a church, of a representation locally of the universal body of Christ is that we proclaim his death until he comes through this ritual. This is one reason that it might feel a little bit awkward if you're in an organization like a Christian, like parachurch ministry, and they want to do a communion service. Because you're kind of like, eh, this feels like it's something that should be done in the local church assembly under the administration of the eldership and according to the word and recognizing this concept of the local church. And that, I just might've been controversial saying that. It's, it is, the Lord's table is a very controversial issue throughout church history. But I'm just saying like, this is something that we have the privilege to do. And it's one of our defining activities. And Paul says it's a proclamation. Everyone here, has something to say. Everybody, every one of you has your say that you want to have. Some of you are mature enough to say, I'll say my piece when it's my turn. I don't want to speak out of turn. Others are exuberant and ready, and they're ready to make a proclamation in everything they say. Now hear this. What's for lunch? (laughs) But everybody wants to say something. Everybody wants to have their say. I know that because of the internet. When it was first conceived, YouTube adopted the motto, broadcast yourself. And some of you are introverted and you thought, why on earth would anyone do that? And others are like, finally, this is for me. I'm going to make videos of my cat and my reaction to the behaviors of my cat. And, you know, people will watch it and they they will. (laughs) We're all ready to make a proclamation. Tattoo culture today, and now this is getting this is going to get sensitive. I'm not going to talk about the decisions you've made for permanent ink on your flesh. I'm talking about tattoo culture. Listen to me. Tattoo culture is, generally speaking, and I I don't want to overgeneralize, but the things that I've heard and seen, this is my canvas. 
I'm going to say the things and, 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 and present the things that I want to say. Very similar to wearing clothes. I put on clothes and I'm saying something by what I wear, except this one's a lifelong one. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm committing to this aesthetic for life. You know, there's nothing else like that that you're doing for life but marriage. Think about that. It's very interesting that way. It, it, marriage is a life until you die kind of thing by God's design. That's the design of marriage. And, and uh, uh, there, there's nothing else like that. Well, wait a second. My, my faith in Christ is lifelong. No, that's eternal. Marriage isn't eternal. It's just for this life. So it's, it's an interesting thought, the way that works. But that's the culture, is that I'm going to make my statement. I'm going to make my manifesto, and it'll be short, because I can't like write a whole book. So I'll just make a, man, a little bumper sticker, and you can talk to me if you want to hear the rest of it. That kind of thing. And that's the way, uh, that's the way it works. But what I want to ask you is, does the Bible give us any insight on what should be our proclamation? Does God tell us anything about ourselves? And I'll summarize, the whole point is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that you are a letter already that Jesus Christ is writing. Paul asked the Corinthians who are rebellious and they won't listen to him and they're arrogant and foolish and he's trying to give them all the riches of the spiritual knowledge of the things of God and they're rejecting it because they're carnal and foolish and selfish and self-centered, which is self-defeating because if they were really selfish, if they really wanted to promote themselves, they would be in God's word and completely let themselves go. But they don't have enough faith or, or wisdom to think that through. So they're just ignorant and tragic and wretched, you know, Americans. And th- this, is the, this is the way the Corinthians are. But Paul says, do I have to send a letter to you of commendation? Do I have to get someone to write a letter to say you should listen to Paul? Paul brought them to Christ. They're believers because he's already preached to them. He begot them as their spiritual father in the sense that he evangelized them. And now they're saying they need a special letter of commendation from somebody, perhaps the elders in Jerusalem. Paul says, we don't need a letter of commendation. As a matter of fact, you're our letter. You're the letter that we're writing. And then he corrects that. He changes that. Notice where you're written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you're a letter of Christ. Jesus is actually writing the letter that you are, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You're a proclamation. You're a representation. And that's what we see in 1 Thessalonians throughout the Thessalonian epistle. He's commending them because everyone that he meets is saying, have you heard about the gospel explosion in Thessaloniki? Because the apostle Paul went through there and they received Christ and really got serious about the word becomes a proclamation. You are a proclamation, Paul says. And now let's go to Joshua. We recently heard this from Mark and his fantastic, did you translate all of Joshua? He translated Joshua verse by verse. I've never heard of a church doing that where we went through Joshua verse by verse in the translation um, like we did, but wow, that was quite a lot of work. It was, it was its own reward, wasn't it? Years of years, years and tears, that's right. Now, now, I'm summarizing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to truncate a little bit of what Joshua says. We used to sing this when I was a little kid in Sunday school in our fantastic uh, children's um, assembly where we sang. and had a music teacher, an elementary school music teacher was our, was our Sunday school assembly leader. It was fantastic. I cannot tell you how impressionable that I was and how important that was for me at time of singing God's praises. We sang, I don't know, we probably sang 10 songs every Sunday. And... Um, Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15, I'm sorry, the chapter is 24, 
and verse 15, if it's disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, then choose for yourselves the day whom you'll serve. And the whole thing is, if you want to serve the other gods or the gods you used to worship or the pagan, you want to be pagan, be pagan. But as for me and my house, here's my proclamation, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Yahweh, the only God, the creator God. That's who we choose to be. Now notice if you aren't willing to say that, you probably won't do it. If you do say it, there'll be times when you won't do it because we have our standards and sometimes we don't meet them. But if you commit yourself to the Lord and you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you return to this motto, if you make this your motto with Joshua, God will bless it. God will equip it. God will strengthen it. I'll get to the end of how we do this. But let's start with let's do this. Why would you not say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? You don't know him. Therefore, you don't know that that's the greatest, highest, and best thing for your family. You don't trust him. You maybe know these things. You've tried, you believe these things, but you're not trusting him in the moment. There's a, it's always something about I don't know him or I don't trust him when we come face to face with this kind of question. Young people, this sounds like your dad talking. Some of you young people. Maybe all of you young people. Maybe your dad has said this to you. Your dad has said this to you, Rosalind's. Maybe this sounds to you like dad stuff. This is for dads. Let's get to something that addresses children. What are you waiting for? You're waiting to become a parent so that then you can become a Christian in your behavior? What's holding you back from saying, you know what? God bought me with the price of the blood of Jesus. I'm owned by him. He's my Lord, so I'll serve him. What are you holding back? What is keeping you from making that choice? Well, but my friends... Your friends need Christ, and you're the person to share him with them, but only if you're serving him. Oh, but you know, I just, I have other things that I'm going, you're, you're playing with pennies, and they're, they're coated in lead, they're poison. <laughs> you're playing with pennies, and God's trying to give you billions. In 1 Samuel 17, the famous battle of Ephes Damim, or the, the battle of the Valley of Elah, where David defeated in single combat the best uh, warrior the Philistines could muster. You have what David said to Goliath. Anybody remember what David said to Goliath in summary? Anybody want to fire it off? You know what he said. What did he say? Do you remember? Power of God, right, okay. The battle is the Lord's. That's it. I'm in it. I'm supposed to fight it, but the Lord has to win it. The battle is the Lord's. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And then he talks about how he's going to take his head off and he's going to feed the, 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 his soldiers to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. The Lord will deliver you up into my hands that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel. This is a proclamation. I hereby dedicate what I'm about to do to you in single combat to the glory of Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth. He's going to deliver you into my hands and he's going to do it as a proclamation so that all the world may know that there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly, all these Israelites quaking in their tents, washing their sleeping bags with their tears because they're so afraid of what Goliath is going to do. All of these quivering Israelites 
he doesn't say it mean like that, but they were, and sometimes we are. That all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Now, might have you, you might have heard me say Yahweh in some of these. Um, there's a reason why I do that. And for those of you that don't know, let me share with you real quick what, that, what I'm talking about. Let me turn on my laser beam. It didn't turn on the laser beam. Laser pointer. There we go. Can y'all see the laser beam? You see how this, is, this word is written differently than all the other words? Look at that. I mean, it's in almost all English Bibles that'll do this. It's in all caps. It's lower, it's little caps, but see the R is in a lowercase r. That's different. See this little lowercase r and deliver? Here it's a capital R. What they're doing in the English translation is they're working through a difficulty of the Hebrew Bible. This is the sacred name of God, yod Hey vav Hey, built on the word Hayah to be, meaning that it seems that it's saying God is self-existent. He's the one who is and there is no other. Revealed to Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, I am sent you. Tell him that I am that I am sent you. It's, that's, he's the self-existent creator. Translated by the, the rabbis that, that made their Greek translation of the Hebrew, translated it as kurios or Lord. And so we've, we've kept with that tradition. 2,200 years later, we say Lord in our English Bible. This is, the, this is the covenant-keeping God who is because that's just how it is and everybody else and everything else is contingent on him existing. That's what this name means. He doesn't deliver by sword or spear. The battle is his. I don't know why he lets me go to a battle. I mean, like, God, you're omniscient. You're omnipotent. I mean, we don't, do we really have to do a demonstration? And the, the answer apparently, is yes, get to it. Why the battle of, of F.S. Dami? Why do we have to go fight the Goliath event? Why? Why can't I just trust the Lord and, you know, just send the lawnmower? I, I don't want to go out there. Well, that's not the deal. You're an agent with responsibility, bearing God's image to proclaim his message. And so David does it with his sling. There are other approaches to this uh, question of what's your life motto. We've heard a couple of good ones. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. The battle is the Lord's. He doesn't deliver by sword or spear, but, but he's the one that, that wins, right? There are other approaches to life that uh, will amount to something far less. I once heard a preacher say about the message of another preacher. I like when preachers preach about other preachers. This is me preaching what another preacher said about another preacher. That's really fun. The one preacher's message was, you can live your best life now. And the other preacher said, if you listen to that and you try to do what he's saying and that's your only approach to the gospel, this will be your best life now. <laughs> I couldn't get more coded in my discussion than that. But Other approaches. I mean, you, you could try it. You could turn your life into an experiment to see if God's true. But here's the thing, Romans 3, just go with it. Let God be true to every man a liar. Some approaches. I did it my way. You can almost hear poor Frank Sinatra. Was he a believer? It's possible. Did he have a Christian lifestyle? There's no record or indication of such a thing. But that's not the issue. Has he trusted in Christ as a Savior? Well, his song doesn't say that. I did it my way, and that's the way it is. What did Jesus say about his way? Nevertheless, not as I will, let your will be done. Let's do it your way. There's a proclamation. 
Another, uh, other, another alternative approach to God having his way in your life, I will ascend to heaven. I will make myself like the most high. Somebody give me a, a chapter reference, a book and chapter. What, who said that? Lucifer said that. And what was that's in Isaiah, right? Anybody know the chapter? Chapter 14 and verses 12 through 15, the five I wills of Satan. I will. In the same exact spirit, there's a famous poem called Invictus, which concludes it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll of God's word, saying there's eternal separation from God if you won't humble yourself before him. That's what he means. I'm, I'm interpreting the poetry. How charged with punishments the scroll, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul. Good luck. That ship is going to a, a hot spot. You don't want to go in that ship with that captain. Well, um, they made a movie about, uh, called Invictus about uh, Mandela and some sort of soccer event. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. They called the movie Invictus. I find it hilarious that they took this humanist, actually sacrilegious, like anti-God screed and made it the, the heartbeat of the message and tragically, Clint Eastwood directed this, when Mandela didn't even use Invictus in prison, he read uh, The Man in the Arena by Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> the movie should have been called The Man in the Arena, which isn't saying this at all. And anyway, that's the side point. I have a lot of those. Here's Paul's motto in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The importance with respect to the sermon progression is indicated by the size of the font in this case. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that? Can you say, this is my life? Whoa, 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 pastor, pastor, pastor. Are you saying I have to say that in order to be saved? I didn't say that. Paul is talking about a, a mature Christian expression of devotion to Christ, having been a believer for decades. But here's the question. Do you see the model? Do you see where life tends? Or are you off in a distracted eddy following the course of this world? I don't see but two options for Christians. Follow the course of this world and disregard the claims Christ has on your life. Or disciple up and figure out what's most important. Here's the way it works. It's a scale of values. What is important to you? The familia, that's important to me. What else is important to you? I think my reputation matters. I sign, I sign my name on it, it matters. I want to give back to the community. I want to be well regarded. Name the thing that's valuable to young people, sneakers. I want the right kind of kicks. Not, not, not much older, girls or boys. And in some cases, they're struggling between whether it's about sneakers or girls. I know, it's weird. Sports, what's really valuable to you? Name it, but put it in a scale and then put Jesus on the other scale. Do you understand what you just did? For those of you who the concerns and details of this life really have to kind of outweigh Jesus, you don't really know what we're talking about. And you ought to get with the word because you'll get it. 
God will do this for you through his word. What happens when you put Jesus on the other scale in terms of value is, is some sort of physics event where an infinite weight flips the scale and nothing else matters and all you have left is Jesus. That's, that's the weight of what we're talking about. But what's valuable is the question. And whether you know the value, that's, that's not really the issue. I mean, for you it is. Jesus is of infinite worth and his claim on your life is a wonderful and high calling and there's nothing higher or greater for you. So Paul, who knows the best, can tell you for me, the whole thing to live is about the Messiah of Israel. And when I die, I see him face to face. So it's game. So how can I adopt this motto? Well, 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a clean conscience, a sincere faith. I haven't talked about love yet in the sermon. How does that fit into here? Well, how about loving God in response to the love that he's loved you with? How about reflecting on Christ and thinking about what that means about your life? That'd be one area that could help. And you're like, well, I know I'm supposed to love, but I'm struggling with that. Good, good thing to say, good thing to think through. And maybe, maybe you need to say that. Like, I know I'm supposed to love, but I'm struggling. John 13, 34 puts us on notice. A new commandment I give you that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you love one another. Also, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples. You have love for one another. Boy, that's a pretty clear and explicit expectation. Again, I, I, I know that I'm supposed to, but why are you talking about this and the question of value and for me to live as Christ? Because Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And his greatest commandment is that we would love one another. And still you can say, I understand the expectation. I know I'm responsible but I don't know how to do it. Some of you think that this means to have the, 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 the tender feelings about somebody. You think this means having affection towards someone. And it isn't. That's not the first thought we would have. In some cases, God's love, agape love towards someone requires you to express affection. In some cases, but not, it's not the, of the definition of it. A good knockdown definition of agape love is on display in John 3.16. You do in love what the other person needs, as God would say the need. You would provide, for example, in John 3, 16, eternal life, because otherwise they'll go to hell. They'll spend eternity in the lake of fire. So love acts on God's best interest for that other person selflessly. That's agape love. And in some cases, you can say, okay, affection is necessary in this particular relationship. And we could talk about that. As, as Jack mentioned, sometimes we shed a tear with someone. Sometimes we do what is necessary, what is best for them, what God would have for them. And that could bring us into the emotional domain. But notice agape love doesn't start with how you feel. It starts with what you're responsible for, what God did. What are you responsible to do? If you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. And so now we're getting to what is really of value, a Christian life, walking with him according to what he said for his sake. I didn't say you feel like loving your brother. I said, you know your duty bound to do so. And the more you hear that, the more you believe that, listen to me, the more it becomes real to you that this is God's expectation. You are right now calibrating your conscience if you're listening. If I have your ear, even one of your ears right now, where you can hear God loves you, he's done this marvelous work, he's got expectations of you for you to love him back, here's what it looks like, he wants you to love one another, at least you know you're on notice, you're responsible to do it, and still you don't know how to do it. Still we haven't said how, we've just said do it. 
Hey, I'll take somebody really trying to do it over somebody stipulating, well, actually, this is through the power of the Holy Spirit, and never does it. But there's a how that we're getting to in Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. That's in the power supplied by the Holy Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it won't be about personal sin in what you say and do toward one another. It'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5.22 says further, the fruit of the Spirit, just two, two or three verses later, the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I know it's seven verses later, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, the things that love does. It is peaceable. It is acts patiently. Love does these things in 1 Corinthians 13. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person, the Trinity, lives in you. If you have Christ as your Savior, then you have the Spirit. And you're supposed to be walking independence on the power the Holy Spirit provides. And it's not an ecstatic moment. It's a day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience of wanting what God wants and saying, not my will, but your will be done. And saying, God, have your way. And keeping short accounts. How can I? Do not be drunk with wine in Ephesians 5.18, which is dissipation, but be filled by means of the Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit filling you. And I argue this is the most important passage in the New Testament on the filling ministry of the Spirit because it describes the results. Here's what this looks like. With the result that you're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With the result that you're singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Notice we went from how we talk to each other to how we talk to God. What do you think the third one is? With the result that you're always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God, the Father. Back to God. You're talking to one another, and then you're talking to God. You're talking to God. What do you think the fourth one is? It's back to one another. With the result that you're submitting one to another in the fear of Christ. Did you see that when you read Ephesians 5? I didn't see it the first 20 years I read it. How you relate to all people, including the person of God, is the result of the filling ministry of the Spirit. Boy, does that, does that calibrate your conscience a little bit? Does that say, okay, there's a right way to think about the words I'm about to say? Not to over-tie into Jack's message, but it is a really tight connection to 1 Peter 3. The spiritual life that God has given you is unique. It's dynamic. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. And you can never say, I just can't love this person. You can say, I choose not to love this person. You can say, I can never feel like loving this person. But you can't say, I can't do it because God told you to do it. And he gave you his Holy Spirit. This is the Christian spiritual life. Now, maybe you're still wondering, like, how can I be like that? I mean, if you're visiting, you haven't been in the word very much. Maybe you go to church a lot, but you're just not in the word very much. That's, that's, that's between you and, and Pastor So-and-so and the Lord, I guess, right? Listen, this is a product of time in grade with God's word and fellowship with him. That's what does this. The Holy Spirit uses the word of Christ to richly dwell within you. It's a matter of spiritual nourishment consistently and, and rigorously attained to gain the sense even in your conscience that I'm supposed to say the right thing here. And the Holy Spirit uses that. So if you will, the machinery of your spiritual life includes the operating work of the Holy Spirit and the fuel is the word. That's why we're in it and we're in it and we're in it. Pastor Dave, I got to do some work so I can be in it better. And so we're going to be in the word with Mark and with, with Mike and with Jack and with whoever, with, with Rusty, as God provides. 
because we're going to be in the word because that's the fuel. What's your motto? What is your manifesto? What are you saying to the world? Well, why don't you relax about that and say, God, what are you saying through me? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We close with the offer of eternal life. We've shared the gospel at least five or six times today. I want to close with the offer of eternal life to anyone who may be in the hearing of my voice that doesn't know Jesus as Savior. You cannot be saved by walking an aisle or even praying a prayer. There is one thing you can do to be saved, and it is something that God has called us all to, and that he's calling you right now through the gospel message. And it is recognizing the work of another and trusting in that and him. Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and if you trust in him as your Savior from your sins and the wrath of God abiding on sin, then he gives you eternal life. It's his to dispense and his joy to do it. And it is through this message of love of the gospel that he does it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We bow our heads, we close our eyes because it's not about what someone else thinks about me. It's not about the relationships in my life primarily. We'll get to that later. Right now, it's about me and God. Have you personally trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior? You are not saved by a prayer, but you can verbalize it this way. God, I am trusting in your son, that he paid for my sins on the cross, that he bought my salvation with his blood, that only through him can I have a relationship with you. I'm placing my faith in him and in nothing else. There's no work I can do. There's no good word I can say. There's no amount of money I can give. It is only the infinite blood of Christ. So I'm trusting in Jesus as my savior. Our Father, we praise you for the privilege to fellowship with you in your word today, in the communion table, and proclaiming Christ's death until he comes, even in song, in all the ways we've been able to worship. Glorify yourself in our week, Father, as we go forward from here. Uh, Help us be mindful of your claim on our lives, of your presence always with us, of the work of your spirit through us and our responsibilities in that arena. And let us embrace those responsibilities and rejoice that we've been called to such a high calling. Father, let us take on what is given to us and be serious about it. We pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. I'm going to ask Justin to come up and lead us out.